Welcome back to Anime in the Sea to Sky. I'm still a hermit living up in the mountains, and at least I've got a few more pieces of news in comparison to my last couple of episodes that covers the last two weeks of February in 2021. So honestly, the lead into this topic would probably need a bit more time and a bit more effort and research moving in, considering that, though it is a more positive piece of news, considering that Netflix partners with Wit Studios to launch a Wit Animator Academy, and considering that a lot of these have been popping up over the past couple of years, to at least give some semblance of, le not legitimately, but just kind of like hope and a nice in for a handful of people that are still trying to make it as animators inside of this industry, considering that not only will they have their tuition fees uh, covering the initial bids and for the initial, um, I guess you could call a test batch of people who are going to be going through the majority of this process, it's only going to be 10 of them. Uh, between the ages of 18 to 25 that have recently graduated from high school or are looking for an alternative uh, avenue to get themselves inside of the industry. And while this is just kind of like, yeah, it's kind of great that more of these startup projects are g getting more and more people in this, it's just like you're talking about 10 recruit applicants. That's not even a band-aid. That's not even a stitch. That's probably just a bit of glue because... It's probably going to have to be a topic for another day, considering that I do think that anime is kind of on a bubble, considering that even though the profits and the entire industry has been going up over the past 13 years, it's just definitely not sustainable in terms of the workforce that they legitimately have to bring in in order to keep up with the amount of projects and shows that come out every season. So, to a later date, and this will probably be the most downtrodden I feel out throughout the entire podcast, so... I'm sorry about that, but I guess I'm going to have to move forward to at least get something new going through. So, I mean, there were still a handful of big uh, releases and announcements going through. I mean, one of them in the sense that um, Pokemon had their own live stream presentation, and so they had different pieces like um, a remake for the fourth gen Pearl and Diamond. They also have a new open-world Pokemon Legends game that's going to be coming out early 2022, which is what the thing that most people were excited about. Um, when I think back on it, I would probably say the most time I spent on Pokemon would probably be with Gen 2, with, um, which was it? Silver and Gold, because that was the first Pokemon game I played, and then I ran the gauntlet on Soul, on the Soul Silver remake when that came out lately, so that was honestly a lot of time that I put through with it, and, I mean, technically, yes, I would probably say, because... Diamond and Pearl was the game that I played the second most since it was the one that a lot of my friends had around at the time and so there were a lot of times that we would go back and forth with battles, trade, fill out national dexes and actually try and move forward with that. But I would say part of this is just going to be because I'm a little bit of a stickler in the sense that the pastel, very uh, like rounded new uh, character designs and basically the new art design that it constantly goes after just doesn't really seem like it's up my alley, so it's probably not something that I'll jump into, but to be fair, the open-world game that they've got coming out, Arceus, in 2022, that's something that's probably going to be catching my eye a lot more in this case than most. Um, Crunchyroll had a handful of things um, pop up over the past two weeks, some good and some kind of middle of the road, but I guess we can just move on with that, considering that they added a handful of new shows into their catalog, including the Fatal Fury anime, OVAs, and Motion Picture, uh, Love Hina, Again's OVA that also popped through. That's kind of one of the big classic harem shows that I never necessarily have given a chance yet, Love Hina, even though Gigguk sells it 
high praises, and to be fair, it's something that's more of a timepiece than anything, and it would still probably be interesting just to kind of get that perspective going back through, which I'm pretty sure was in the 90s, I think, coming through a lot of that time. But, I don't know, it's definitely not one of my priorities, and considering that my backlog has finally been going down to a small enough degree, it's still something that I'm probably going to have to check out as a sort of a time capsule, just to kind of go back and take a look in the transition of shoujo and harem shows after Rumika Takahashi and in the middle of the digital era. Um, but I think the one that I would definitely have to... Uh, in this case, recommend more than any else, is that they got the entire first season of Hajime no Ippo, which I think is about 70, 75, I think it was 75, uh, in terms of episodes long, and even though, let's see, so we had the new Challenger uh, film and then television series after that, and then Hajime no Ippo Rising following uh, that, so you can technically call that a third season, it's, dude, it might be my favorite sports show of all time, without question consider it even though it's just kind of like i haven't seen the big ones you know uh like relative to haikyuu or relative to kurokono basket or not not really prince of tennis but i would say like the other shows that would probably put that into it would probably just be baby steps and ping pong the animation and then i guess you could technically call running a sport so um run with the wind is probably going to be up there but I have a feeling, considering that Haikyuu is very close since the manga just recently ended, and there's probably about a season and a half of, uh, of content left in the show, so maybe when that concludes, that's when I finally jump in and give Haikyuu a shot. So, on the backlog, on the back burner, something I will give an opportunity considering the high amount of praise that it's gotten, but now is not the time. Just go watch Ippo. In terms of award season... Hmm... So I guess not only for the award season that's coming up of ourselves in the majority of the media, which would be Golden Globes and the Oscars, which is going to be kind of interesting to see how they essentially like do those presentations at this point in time, but that's beside the point. I would say uh, the Crunchyroll Anime Awards, while it had a lot of good options in terms of, you know, the categories that they were going through and what I'd seen had a lot of precedence. It's not really something that I can just really step into and air my grievances because I probably didn't watch... <laughs> I don't think I even watched 15 shows from last year. The majority of them came off of my backlog from previous times, but the fact that the popular consensus vote was that um, Jujutsu Kaisen was the one that ended up winning Anime of the Year was just kind of like... Alright, that's definitely populous. And to be fair, it is the Crunchyroll Anime Awards, and it is a very, very populous sort of um, voting system that they've got. It's just not really under a jury's jurisdiction at all. It's basically what's the most popular vote for each of the categories that they go through. I mean, the, the, worst, the most that they can do is that the jury is going to be the ones selecting the pieces, but the ones who actually win it are going to be underneath the guise of a popularity contest, which is always kind of unfortunate. So it's just kind of like... Yeah, I don't even know. It's just, they're really going to have to, like, I understand, they, but they really need to follow what our anime has done, which in this case is basically have a jury-made vote and a populist vote, or in this case, an audience vote. Like, they can show that, yo, the audience thought this was the best one, even though everybody knows it's an asterisk, considering that the majority of the time it's just going to be the most popular shows that win a lot of it. And just because you decided to put this niche show that, like, 1% of people watched as one of the top six you know, characters to win the um, award, it doesn't mean, doesn't really mean shit, because everybody's just going to be wondering, oh, who, what was the most popular? Hmm, I think I'll actually have to go and, and join, check that out, where it's just, no, just, just don't do that, just do both. 
literally do what our anime has done, which is essentially just have the audience vote and have a jury vote. Because you've already got a jury set up to choose them, then give a jury to say, all right, this is literally the jury inside a Crunchyroll. This is what we think are the best shows and the best content and the best, you know, pieces of production that we found in the year. Which is kind of unfortunate. <laughs> not, I'm not at all, yeah, no. It's, it's just kind of like, because for a lot of these online contests, you do get salty the first time around because why didn't X amount of people watch my show and why didn't my show win all the awards where it's just kind of like, oh, no way, this is literally just a popularity contest. And at least I'll stop praising our anime at this point because we kind of we got a, a lot of hit and misses going on inside of our community anyways. But I do like the fact that they do have the split in terms of who votes on what and you still get like the populace and you still get the ones that ha whose literal job was to try and figure out a good consensus on what the best of the year were. So in that terms, they basically went for Chai Furu Season 3 totally understand that, and the populace went for ReZero, and I totally understand that as well, because even though I'm probably never going to give ReZero a chance, because I know it is so far outside my strike zone that I highly doubt I'll be able to get any sort of enjoyment out of it, I do admit and recognize the popularity and what is supposed to be consistently good content that everybody else has been praising it to be. And besides the one awkward part that happened in the first season it's people are legitimately giving it good props and not really giving it as many asterisks to its success except for Subaru but apparently Subaru does eventually get good and become a more likable person and a more competent one at that so I don't know it's just yeah something that I would actually have to work around and kind of figure out and see what uh see what they can do okay let me be clear <laughs> this is the last time the last time I'm ever going to talk about the Demon Slayer film uh it has spirited away as the number one all-time Japanese film worldwide. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the, one of the pieces. It is going to be listed with an Oscar qualifying run in theaters around uh, Miami, Florida, which is probably the only place they would do it because nobody inside of Florida gives a shit if they get COVID or not, so they'll all just flood to the theaters regardless, just so they can have an opportunity to actually watch this. Whereas me sitting up in Canada and who had the opportunity... Well, no, I didn't even have the opportunity to watch it, considering that the one week that it was going to be put in theaters, all of our theaters got shut down. So it's not really much for me to move forward with. I will watch it at some point. I don't know if I'm going to be torrenting it when the Blu-rays come out later in March, or if I'm just going to wait. I will probably wait patiently if they give us a decent amount of time and they give us like a time when the Canadian theaters are going to open up, which is... One of the things I'm doubtful of, considering that we are going to be heading into the beginning of March and there's still no real release date for any of the theaters coming back into our bids, and that's honestly an experience I haven't had since last September, and it's something that I'm really curious about jumping back into, especially if it's from a film with such caliber as Demon Slayer. So, I guess, besides Demon Slayer, because it's getting that one run inside of theaters, they are trying to get it as a it's already been confirmed eligible for the oscar noms but they need to get a good demographic of people in to go see it which by mean demographic i mean the academy and if i mean the academy i mean nobody on the fucking academy is ever going to watch any of these any of these shows fucking nobody on the academy is going to watch and nominate demon slayer it is not going to be fucking possible if so far the ones that have the highest chance through this list on ANN is going to be um, Lupin Third, the first, uh, Ongaku, Our Sound, 
Rider Wave, A Whisker Away, and the one that I would be the most fucking tilted if it did get in, which would be uh, Studio Ghibli and Goro Miyazaki's Earwig and the Witch. Because I cannot imagine a world where this should be praised in any form. I could understand, considering that it is based off of... Um, like a, a children's novel that was basically going through adapted. It was just so, it was just so underwhelmingly vibrant, lacking any sort of, you know, energy or just momentum or character or like just everybody, like the only person who has any sort of personality in this show is... The dude who, I can't even remember what, like, form he is. I'm just going to call, call him a gargoyle. He's the drummer of the band. And he has the most personality and the most going on behind him. But he gets, like, five minutes of screen time in a movie that's just over an hour long. And, like, everything else is just so fucking lackluster and pointless that I can't really get it. The And the thing that kind of, like, a middle finger that popped up at the end there, because they, they did put... Uh, Hayao Miyazaki's name on the credits list and I think it was for either screenwriting or storyboards or something along like the the early draft production stage and I wouldn't be surprised if he drew the storybook like end cards that happened at the end of the movie during the credits because that aesthetic they literally went through this entire 3D CG rigmarole just to see if it would be a possible alternative and just to, like, figure out if there would be any, like, decent audience to go through with it. And then they go back to, like, these 2D picture book-esque frames over the credits. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't the movie look like that? Like, come on. Like, it looked so vi- Like, not vibrant. I'm not going to repeat myself here. But it's just kind of like, it was just so colorful. And it was, like, personalized and, like, really fit the stage. Because it was based off of a children's book in that sort of vein. And, like, the aesthetic behind that was just so much more evenly matched with, like, what they were trying to adapt and probably what they would go for, but they just wanted to... Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, why did it have to be 3D, dude? I don't... I do not hate 3D CG if it's optimized well. Like, seriously, go... Go look at Studio Orange. Production ID... Well, the old production IG. The recent production IG doesn't really do a lot in that same vein, but it's just kind of like, dude, look at, look at Studio Warrants, look, look at Beastars Season 2, that's essentially been airing this year, and it's just kind of like, go, and that's how you, like, animate an entire set of characters. That is how you make a majority, uh, 3D CG film work in its world. I mean, Promare was kind of the same deal as well, and I would, and that's the thing, Promare's not gonna get nominated, I definitely know it's not gonna get nominated or, like, put in perspective for anything, because it is just so fucking like, trigger and so fucking anime that anybody who jumps into that would just, like, literally, their eyes would hurt, but not in the same way that it looks horrible. It looks fucking amazing. It, like, even in fact, the CG implementation that they were able to put inside of that series, or that movie, was so fucking crisp and clean and matched the aesthetic and set the tone of the movie so fucking well. Oh, boy. I guess I'm just gonna have to put down a label where it's just explicit content, because I'm just really, oh, boy, I'm just really going off on a bit of it, because, I don't know, it's just that I re- I I speed ran Earwig the Witch. I cranked that shit up to one and a half times speed, and I and like after I was like ten minutes in, like there was no way. Even though the movie was like an hour and ten minutes long, there was no way I could just like spend more than an hour of my time on that. So I just had to like crunch it and get through. So 
sorry, Goro, like two of your three films are like on the bottom of the list in terms of anything related to Studio Ghibli for me. From Up on Poppy Hill was great. Just Earthsea and Earwig are just absolutely horrendous like uh, pieces of film. The only ones that I guess I haven't seen from this nominations list would of course be Demon Slayer Moving Train. And then, well, I guess A Whisker Away, which I heard kind of like, man, I kind of, I wish they went through a different direction for this kind of movie. And so I've heard like a lot of mixed stuff which is kind of like some people loved it, some people thought it was incredibly boring, and they hated the relationships, and it's just kind of like, yeah, you do have to kind of go and figure that out for yourself, which does kind of suck, but it's just, I, it's been a while since I've seen a film like that, like, so, like, diversely just split down the middle, and stuff like that's a never good sign. And then, I mean, Masaki Iwasa's Ride Your Wave. Uh, it's not going to get nominated, but I would still recommend that over all the stuff that I've seen before. Oh, I guess, and then Lupin the Third. Yeah, Lupin the Third, like, their first full CG animated bid. Like, if you want to talk about good CG, like, the models that they used inside this film were so much better matched in tone, not only to the backgrounds that they decided to generate and actually use for a decent amount of atmosphere and scenario building in this film, but it's just kind of like everybody inside of this world had their model basically rigged to perfection based on their old designs like i really like all the characters didn't look out of place at all nobody like on the antagonist side or anybody that was like moving through the only people that looked the same were essentially all of the um interpol officers that follows any around but that totally makes sense because they're literally just like a, a treasure not a treasure trove just a trove of um it's just like his own personal squad that always like follows him through thick and thin and for no other reason in general but and for all of them just to have the same personality and the same like model in of itself is just enough of a good joke in of its own right because he's just had platoons of interpol and police officers and just everything over the past several decades behind zenigata and it's just kind of like yeah if you were just going to be lazy and like use the same model for any sort of piece inside of this project then that was definitely the way to do it oh boy I mean, the only thing related to that, like, I could talk about is that last, uh, night I ended up, I did end up watching one of the animated films that was nominated for an Oscar last year called I Lost My Body. I was a little, it was a little slow in the beginning for a film that's only got, what, an hour 15 runtime, but when it actually started getting into it and we got more and more of the recent trials and tribulations and issues that our main characters had actually been going through... The build-up was, you know, I, I thought it was good. I really, I did enjoy it in terms of all the stuff that they were able to do as well with the severed hand and how it was able to move around and have a character in of itself, even though it was from the same body and kind of had like the same sort of like rushed person, um, not rushed personality, but kind of like um, rushed drive that the main character has just in a different form and a different light. Uh, and it looked really gorgeous in a lot of the scenes, especially when it came to the scenes in the winter, the scenes in the rain, the scenes in the snow. It looked amazing um, in terms of how much it was able to um, move around and essentially give like a, a vision of Paris that I had honestly never seen before or put to film. And so the one things that I'm probably going to jump into next would definitely be the Irish, French, Belgian animated fantasy films in terms of Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, and uh, Wolfwalkers. So all those through Done by Cartoon Saloon, and it's kind of just been, 
Yeah, it's it's really weird, considering that was the first time I'd ever heard of them, like, way back. I think I do remember The Secret of Kells being, like, nominated for Best Animated Feature back in 2009, and that was the first time I saw, I've seen it, but I hadn't really jumped back into it, or it didn't really jump back into my conscious, or my... Or it didn't really jump back into public consensus until I saw a lot of the trailers for Wolfwalkers coming around, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, no, this is very similar to the one I saw years ago. Oh, they're all done by the same sort of deal, Cartoon Saloon. Okay, I should actually go out and give all those a shot. So, yeah, that'll probably be the next couple of films that I decide to watch in the meantime. The last sort of film that I want to talk about that ended up getting an announcement is going to be from Mamoru Hosoda. So, The Princess of Dragon and Freckles, localized at this point in time through a trailer that recently got unveiled as Belle. And so it's kind of interesting to see how Mamoru Hosoda is going back to his roots, which I'm definitely all for, considering that I'm just going to give a good, like, hodgepodge and quick review of a lot of his films by the end of the episode. But it kind of seems like he's going back to a lot of his roots of, like, an online world, boy meets girl, um, thrust under various circumstances just to kind of see where they can really go and he goes back to his original style because i kind of feel like that's a much better uh set for him if a handful of things haven't really been working from his new lens he should probably just go back to doing what he thought or not what he thought doing what he did well which to be fair is a lot of his old stuff because, I mean, in terms of what the film, at least this film, is going to be about, it's just, it's just like, you know, high school girl, lost her mother, she's all alone, uh, and moves to an unpopular rural town with her father, and she joins a virtual world as Belle, and meets a mysterious creature. But, and so the most that you can kind of, like, draw contrast and uh, connections towards is, like, uh, Summer Wars. And so I'm really kind of curious to see how this kind of moves and the experience that he's gotten over the past couple of years, or in this case, at least the past decade and a half or so, and how he goes back and revisits technology from the lens of something coming in the 2020s rather than in the 2000s. Because, I mean, Summer Wars, we were talking flip phones. Going back and kind of seeing a different perspective from Hasoda in terms of an internet perspective after a good, like, near 15 years... Like, now, to see how far the internet and technology in of itself has advanced is something that I'm really curious about and seeing what he's able to go through. It's just that, as of late, he hasn't really been wowing me with a lot of the projects that he's done, and a lot of it comes from his earlier work. I mean, he started work at Toei, he had the opportunity to start directing Howl's Moving Castle, but due to creative differences, he ended up getting not really moved off the project, he moved of his own volition because he just couldn't really make the film that he wanted to make, and... He just left, so he returned to Toei, did a handful of projects there, and then he ended up going into Madhouse, where, personally, he made his two best films, The Girl Who Left Her Time and Summer Wars. And after doing those and winning a handful of awards, he left in 2011 to establish his own animation studio, Studio Chizu. And so afterwards, he's already made three films, with, of course, Belle being his fourth which was kind of fun to go back to, well, I guess it's, I'm just kind of jumping a lot of back and forth in between here, considering that I'll, I want, I, it seems like a natural idea to like start at the bottom and kind of go through his work, but I think, at least for me, I'll start with what I think are his more like lesser, not, I guess his lesser films is kind of the way that I'd like to put it, because it's just not really much, because he had 
the experience and he had the, the uh, a lot of people to work under in terms of affecting his directorial style. I mean, like in the 90s, he was doing stuff for the Dragon Ball OVAs. He was um, episode director and key animator for stuff on Galaxy Express 999, Slam Dunk, uh, the Sailor Stars for Sailor Moon. So it's just, he did have a lot of good experience coming out of Toei and uh, Madhouse. Like, essentially, ultimately culminating in him not only doing one of the short films from the Digimon film uh, that came out back in 2000, which would be the Digimon R War Game, like, if you ever, like, watch that Digimon the movie VHS tape, he did the second one, I believe. Yeah, it was it was the second of three, where um, all the characters have to go into the internet and stop this bug that's essentially wreaking havoc, which will lead on to uh, a lot of similar uh, callbacks in terms of, like, what he did in his later projects. But he did that. He did one of the One Piece films, uh, Baron Omatsuri and the Secret Island, which... Is probably something I should watch, even though I don't really... If I, I haven't really seen much of One Piece, but I do know the basics of all the characters and essentially what they like, what their goals are, what their traits are, what their fighting styles can go through. And apparently it's like one of the better One Piece films inside of the large catalog that's built up over the past 20 years. So I'd definitely be curious in seeing that. But like most recently, the film that they put out was Mirai, and that ended up getting um, an, an Oscar nod in 2019, I think. And I thought it was good, just not really as... I just didn't really think it was as good as everybody, like, cracked it up to be. I did love the house, I loved the family, I loved all the interactions, just to kind of see, like, how they were able to, you know, connect. And it's kind of like... Uh, I know, it's just kind of looking back on, hey, you're the demographic of this because you're an older brother with a younger sister coming into the world, even considering that, yes, I did have a sister, and yes, I, I did see um, I did see a bit of myself in Kun, I think was the main boy's name, because it's just kind of like, there's all these videos of me as a kid, um, like, staring down at my mother holding my baby sister, and I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna be a big brother. Oh my god, this is so cool. I real I really love this. I can't wait to like cherish and like become a family with her. But then it was just like, oh man, having a young sister fucking sucks, dude. <laughs> like why are you guys why are you taking away all the um attention from my family? Why can't you just <laughs> so so I mean uh why can't you pay attention to me? Stop paying attention to my sister. <laughs> She's oh boy. So I guess I do kind of find it a little more relatable in, in hindsight, but it definitely was a little interesting kind of seeing a film from the perspective of, like, a four- or five-year-old boy. So, and it kind of, like, moves along at a pace that you would expect, but I thought it was good. I didn't think it was as great as everybody kind of, uh, like, brought it up to being. I still would give it a recommendation, as it's basically just as it follows Kun with his baby sister and they and he meets essentially different versions of different parts of his family just moving around through time and space even an older version of his sister coming back and you know just straightening uh, straightening him up a bit but you know i still thought it was pretty good um i think the major consensus and i think i would agree uh with this is that the boy and the beast is probably his weakest film to date um i liked uh, yeah, I guess I did like the stuff inside the Beast World, but once it actually moved into its second and third act, like, it didn't really give me much. They tried to introduce him to, his to like, his old and new family and the potential love interest, but, like, you had no time at all to kind of just let that relationship develop and kind of, like, go through. So it was, like, really awkward in that sense. 
and whatever the and the antagonistic force of this film is just kind of something that really because i guess it's more of like a foil and a mirror but it didn't really work out the same way or it didn't it just didn't kind of stick the landing with the ideas and the themes that it was trying to go through family is a very common theme in a lot of hosoda's works but this just kind of didn't really land on its feet uh, trying to get its message message across, which is kind of unfortunate because I did like the the relationship between the boy and the beast, but it just didn't get enough time that I thought for it to actually be as meaningful as it could have. So, it's not a horrible film by any stretch, but it's still not and not close to being good, and definitely not something I would recommend if I was like giving a portfolio of uh, Soda's works. Um, a film that I'm probably gonna have to rewatch because it's been like five six years and who many people think is uh, Hosoda's strongest film to date, which would be uh, Ame and Yuki, The Wolf Children. And I definitely, I, yeah, I think I'm just going to have to, with a different perspective, go back and watch this film again, considering that at the time that I watched it, I didn't really see what the what the Hubbaloo uh, was about, because everybody thought, like, this was possibly, like, the best one of the best films of the 2010s, and I'm just kind of thinking, yeah, no, I really... I really enjoyed the uh, the mom's character and the trials and traumas that she's able to go through and being a single mother and, like, trying to make everything work out just so she can give both of her children, like, a decent life that could have possibly been stripped from them due to circumstances happening, uh, you know, just their circumstances of being born as wolf children. And it didn't really hit as hard as it was to me, not much during the climax, not much during the conclusion. I still thought it was a good movie, just a little overhyped by the amount of people that were essentially like making it out to be his his best film or just one of the best films of the decade in general. So, I, it's a good recommendation. I want to and I would definitely go through it there. Just not really something that's just as amazing as you would think. But yeah, I would say my second favorite film of his, uh, the second one that he was able to go through and make it madhouse would have definitely been Summer Wars. In terms of just a, uh, I think the guy was in middle school. This middle school math whiz who was, like, second in his national math competition, and him and his friend, like, work as moderators inside this uh, virtual online chat room that essentially has a lot of different, you know, a lot of different ways and a lot of different methods of going through. And it's essentially a lot of the plot goes back to Digimon's Our War Game uh, in the sense that, yo, we actually need to stop this rogue virus from infecting the entire internet before it gets into the nuclear launch codes and essentially <laughs> shuts down not only the entire, uh, Japanese countryside, but, like, parts of the world as well. Um, but I just, the other characters in this film, which is essentially just the entire extended family of the main character's love interest, like, she has this, it, it, it's very reminiscent of uh, the mum, my mum's side of the family as well, considering that my dad has uh, two brothers and just two, and, and the grandparents are fine. So it's like, including my dad, there's only about five of them. My mum comes from a family of, uh, a family of seven, seven kids, seven or six, uh, probably six kids. And so just the extended family on top of the extended families of like, who her brothers and sisters married and how their families interconnected and a lot of it is from the UK and Ireland, Scotland and all when all of them like came back down to Ontario and like one of the weddings I went to before the pandemic last year was essentially just so ridiculously packed considering that every other facet of that family which also had family which also had family was just so ridiculous to just watch in person but it's just 
so... I guess it kind of hits me a little easier considering that it's a lot more relatable to have, like, see that big of a connection go through. But I just liked the characters. I liked the interactions that they went through and how this one main boy who is definitely, you know, a little, you know, shy and underdeveloped in terms of social considering dude's a math whiz, but can you imagine how much time he decided to put through it? And, and coding is a very, very lonely facet and hobby to go through. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, like the the entire middle bit with the entire extended family, the conflict that essentially moves through and how everybody in their own way is able to fight it on their, not on their own, but as a unit to come together and save the day it was incredibly fun. And it was really, it was a really entertaining watch. And even though it's probably the one that I haven't seen in the longest time, it still resonates and like hits, you know, home with me the closest and is the most memorable in my eyes. So, yeah, that would definitely be one of the major recommendations I would go through in this. And the last one, which I think is probably um, Hosoda's strongest film to date, which would definitely go through The Girl Who Left Through Time. I, I do think that the ideas and the conflicts and the character growth that the main girl has to go through, that Makoto has to essentially adapt and... I guess misuse because it's just like, all right, this is a girl. She can rewind time and take herself back to, you know, like redo things and make it so that every tiny minuscule error or thing that goes wrong in her life can just be rectified. And of course, if you're a teenager, that would just be a fucking amazing power to have, but it, you abuse it, you abuse it. And by the end of the, or like by the halfway point, you can already realize it's just like, okay, so what's, the, what's the catch? What's the, what's the monkey's paw here? Where is this going to go wrong? And how is this going to go wrong? And what is going to be the consequences of using for such a power? And it's relatively simple, but it still leaves consequences that she's going to have to live with. And she's definitely, she's a fun protagonist to have in the sense, in the drive that she has to move forward with especially with the relationships that he, that she has to like bounce around and kind of manage in between the rest of the show's runtime. But I still do believe that not necessarily on a theme-based narrative, but just like how the story moves around through its pacing is definitely one of his better works that he's been able to go through. And which is kind of why I'm definitely... Um, not excited, but I'm definitely a little intrigued to see that he's going to go back to his roots and he's going to go back to the storylines that he did essentially have a really good, uh, not necessarily a really good idea, but a really good piece of execution in the sense that he's able to do well. But considering that not only has it been about 15 years, but considering that it has been 15 years, the amount of different ideas and, you know, caveats and themes that he could probably go through. It's probably not going to be about family, which is definitely interesting because the vast majority of his work already always has the theme of family and connections already at the core of it. And it doesn't really seem like, I, I mean, he's probably going to, he'll have to, you know, weave that in somehow. I mean, for Belle, dead mother, uh, single dad, moving into the countryside on her own. Um, I guess maybe we can see that isolation is probably going to be, you know, a big piece of that, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. I'm really curious to see what he's actually going to be able to accomplish considering that it's, 
something... I, I just want to see him succeed, considering that he is one of the most prominent international anime directing faces that you could probably point towards. Um, but it's just something, like, personally, I haven't really been a huge fan of anything he's made since, you know, Summer Wars and Wolf Children, and it's been nearly a good 10 years for something like that to essentially come out and wow me. So if he's going back to his roots, that's honestly something that I can appreciate and look forward to. But yeah, I'll see what I can uh, move forward with. Anyways, definitely thanks for listening. I've been essential have been really late to the draw in terms of trying to get the majority of distribution going out through because YouTube really makes it difficult to try and get anything longer than a half hour onto a channel, especially when you're somebody who's just trying to make your distribution as easy as possible. Um, but regardless of that, I just hope that you'll be able to give me a listen. Find me on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Mu Amazon Music, I think. Honestly, the majority of the podcast sites that you'll be able to find and listen to, and uh, cheers, have a good one. Music